Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. We're going to talk a little bit about Russia today and what they are doing in the Ukraine. But first I want to point out that the Bible is a much more vast and stunning book than most of us realize when we're actually reading it in the morning or afternoon or sitting in church or something like that. We have been ruined over the last 150 years, 100 yeah, 150 years or so, uh, by this sort of individually, individualistically minded reading of the Bible, where in the West, we've sort of made it a how-to book, which is why you can walk into most bookstores or get online and find all sorts of books on how to raise kids like the Bible says, how to finance your life like the Bible says, how to get out of debt, how to have inner peace, how to... And we sort of have filled our minds with this idea that the Bible is a kind of how-to book that applies to us as individuals and sort of out to our families and communities and things like that, but mostly just how it applies to us. So typically, uh, when we read the Bible, we say, I've heard people say, and I've probably thought of myself as well, is this sort of thing of what does the Bible mean to me? What does this passage mean to me? What is it saying to me? Well, some of that, I think, comes from an idea that was made popular by Karl Barth back in the 50s, of the Bible becomes the Word of God or it's inspired as the Word of God when we come to it in faith. This kind of mystical idea, trying to explain the concepts of inspiration and things like that, but I think it falls short in that God himself is much bigger than just how we come to him in faith. God himself is what's called um, self-sufficient. He is a necessary being. He is in and of himself complete in every way, lacking nothing, able to function in so many ways without any kind of input from anybody else, that kind of thing. So you have to think of it as kind of a vertical line and a horizontal line when it comes to reading the Bible. That the Bible uh, explains things horizontally, so between you and God, between society and God, between the whole world and God. It also explains things horizontally, which is you and other people, you and society, you and authority, you and the world, and nature and the environment, and whatever you want to add that way, horizontal-wise. But it also goes both internal and external. So the Bible describes the whole of the universe 
both the good things and the bad things, both the positive results and the negative results based on human free will. But then also it penetrates down into the very spirit, soul and spirit of an individual. And it does that microsurgery in your heart as well in the very recesses of where you think. So it goes both directions. It's horizontal, vertical, it's totally external and intimately internal. That's what the Bible does. That's because God is that kind of God. He can make the Bible speak to all people of all time in all places. So it is a much bigger and vaster book than I think many of us realize when we sit down with our cup of coffee and read it for 10 minutes or two chapters or whatever it is. Now, one thing that we have to bear in mind is that we can't just go to the Bible and say, what is it saying to me? That is very, very narrow. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying that's very, very narrow because some of the things that have happened of late in the last two to three weeks with Russia invading the Ukraine show us that the Bible is true whether we believe it or not. The Bible describes things in the world around us whether we acknowledge its statements about these things or not because God is outside of all of these things and also inside of all these things. And he has inspired certain people, men of God, holy men of God, as, as Peter calls them, to write these things down for us at a time where nobody knew about this stuff, but now we see it actually taking place. So I'm talking about prophecy, things that are written in advance. So there's prophecy in uh, encouraging and challenging and provoking people to follow God. That is a way of prophesying. But there's also this idea of speaking about things that will happen down the road. And these are the kind of things that authenticate what the Bible says. So let's talk for a minute about what's happening in the Ukraine and how that relates to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, the idea of biblical prophecy was quite a hot topic and people talked about it a lot, but now not so much. There's a few podcasts here and there maybe and some books coming out, but it seemed like the psyche of the church back in the 70s and 80s was a bit more prophetically minded. They were willing to look at these things and this concept of Isaiah 38 and 39 that talks about the Gog and Magog invasion of Israel was something that was talked about. It was discussed. People wrote books about it and things like that. So when Russia decided to invade the Ukraine and start a bit of a war there, it prompted me to remember Ezekiel 38 and 39. So I went back and kind of looked into it again. So essentially what it says is that there's a guy named Gog and he is the political head of Magog, Meshach, and Tubal. And he has alliances with Africa and the Arab world, and he wants to invade Israel. So I would encourage you to go and read these chapters, chapter 38 and 39, and see what it says. Commentators will tell you, commentators who actually believe the Bible and say that it's the word of God will tell you, 
that this event that chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel describes has never actually happened anywhere in history in any sort of extreme detail. And one of the reasons why is because it says very clearly in these chapters that it will happen after the nation of Israel has been restored from a position of scattering around the world. Now, if you don't know your 20th century history, that happened in 1948. Israel, the, the Jewish people moved back in large numbers to the geographical land of Israel as a result of uh, the immediate effects of World War II with the Holocaust and all that. And so they decided that if no one was going to defend them and if they were just right for the picking of another Hitler, then we better jolly well have our own political nation so that we can defend ourselves. So they all came back, and there's loads of details that go back 50 years before that, and Britain's involved, and... Balfour declarations and events of World War One, and it's just there's all kinds of things. It's it's a very complex and quite fascinating read if you have the time to do it and are inclined to do it, which I would encourage you to do. So, the Jewish people then became sort of the first ever people group that reunited after about 1900 years of dispersion all around the world. They were coming in from South America, from Siberia, from Eastern Europe, from all over the place. They were just pouring into Israel. I lived in South Africa for five years. There's synagogues down there in South Africa. So there's, there's Jewish people all over the place. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of them, if not more, in New York City, millions, I think. They're all over the place. So there's a synagogue in my town uh, 30 miles from here where I work every day. So they're all over the place. They all, loads of them came back. Loads of them came back to the, to the geographical land of Israel, which is all verifiable through archaeological research and all that. They have found innumerable um, ancient sites that relate exactly to the way the text of the Bible says, which is a whole other interesting study on archaeology and uh, the land of Israel and how it interrelates with what the Bible says. And to my knowledge, it's, there's nothing that's ever been discovered that has absolutely contradicted or discredited the Bible. Everything always matches up. Things that have now been discovered have matched up to what the Bible says. So I say all that to say that in 1948, politically, geographically, internationally, Israel was reestablished as a nation us, um, you know, recognized by the UN, America, lots of other countries. And so it was a major event in biblical prophecy. It sort of set the stage for other things to start being considered more seriously. One of the things that can be considered more seriously is this idea of a Russian invasion, Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39. So these nations... And you'll have to do your research. Get on blueletterbible.com. You know, look up uh, the different commentaries that are uh, there regarding these chapters. And they'll tell you that the general consensus is that Magog and Meshach and these are Moscow and Russia as a whole. It also includes a political confederation of Germany and of... 
some of the Arab states, Black Africa, and Arab Africa as well. It also says that there are other lands that are like, like Saudi Arabia, particularly, and also uh, potentially the English-speaking world, although that's a very contested um, designation of the phrase that's used, Tarshish and the young lions thereof. People have taught, tended to think that maybe that's possibly linked to the British Isles and then by extension the English-speaking worlds around it. But all of these different nations are still very active today and they're still involved in what's happening at this point with Russia and things like that. So, Russia has not yet gone down and invaded the nation of Israel, but Israel does exist. Russia was nearly going to invade Israel during the Six-Day War. It was very involved back in the 1960s, and also the Yom Kippur War back in the 1970s. The Arab nations around Israel were being funded with military equipment and things like that from Russia generally, and Israel itself was being aided and helped with equipment and things like that from America, Britain, and these countries, generally speaking. So there was these conflicts that took place in the 60s and 70s between Israel and the Arab states, and then by further out extension, you had the U.S. and Russia sort of looking with extreme interest at what was going on. Since 1948, there has no, been no direct move by Russia to invade Israel. But it's interesting to me that the events that have just taken place in the last few weeks with the Ukraine, it actually is showing Russia moving south. So Russia has invaded the nation of the Ukraine and kind of done a little bit of what the prophecy says. They went into a nation that was sort of at peace wasn't really involved in any hostilities with anybody or anything like that and just plowed through. So the other interesting thing about the whole thing is that the president of the Ukraine is actually Jewish. So I'm not making any sort of connections or anything like that. I'm not saying that this is absolutely it, that this prophecy is going to be fulfilled in the next six months or anything like that. I'm just pointing out that these things should prompt us to have the same attitude that Daniel had when he was reading the book of Jeremiah. So go back and read Daniel chapter 9, and what you'll see in Daniel chapter 9 is that Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah, and it says in the book of Jeremiah that the exile of the people into Babylon would be a 70-year period. So Daniel was carted off when he was quite young as part of this exile crowd, and he had been in Babylon for all that time. So it was not hard for him to do the math and to say, oh, this 70 years is nearly up. And that drove him to a very intense time of prayer. And in that prayer, he was visited by an angel which gave him more insight into what God was doing on an international scale. You follow me? <laughs> so... I understand people getting on Facebook and posting little memes and statements of past political activists and leaders and things like that and Ukrainian flags and everything else, but none of that is effective unless there is a spirit of prayer like Daniel had behind it, okay? So go read Ezekiel 38 and 39, be challenged by it, 
be informed by it, then go read Daniel chapter 9. And when you read Daniel chapter 9, read his prayer very carefully. Because in his prayer, he actually prays for the whole of his nation. He prays that God would have mercy on them. He prays that they would have a heart to obey him and to love him and to be faithful to him. He prays that there would be a national repentance so that people would understand that God is who he says he is. And this actually is one of the key things about the invasion of Russia to Israel. It says a multiple, several times in that passage that God himself is prompting the invasion, which he will then turn around and judge the nation, that all the nations that were involved in it. But he's doing all that so that Israel and so that the world will know that he is the Lord. Ultimately, God's desire is for everybody to recognize that he is the Lord. And as Lord, he has provided a means of living that will be such a fulfilling life for any person to follow that you'd almost be an idiot for not choosing it. Well, you probably would be an idiot for not choosing it. Because, it, because the gospel gives us such a peace and such a joy and such a sense of fulfillment as humans but we have to come to him and be humble before him in order to accept it. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Take up your cross daily and follow him if you want to be a disciple. Magnify him. Jesus said, uh, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. So God has a motive in all of this and we need to get on board with God's motive. And that motive is that people will know that he is the Lord. And as Lord, he is the creator of the earth. He is the creator of every human. He, rec he understands the thoughts and intents of every human heart. He knows exactly what people are wanting to do, where they're, what their disposition is, you know, the reasons why they make the decisions they make. And all he's asking for is for us to be restored back to him so that he can give us that fullness of life that he promises in the Gospels. So this is the challenge to you, <laughs> is to take on this spirit of prayer that Daniel had and to pray for the church in the Russia and pray for the church in the Ukraine and pray for the church in Belarus and pray for the Jewish people. Jesus is the Messiah of the Jewish people and we need to be praying for them that they would recognize that, which they will. And that's exactly what it says in this prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that they will recognize ultimately that he is the Lord. He is their creator. He, Jesus is their Messiah. So God bless you. Be in prayer for this nation, whatever nation you're living in. Be in prayer for the church in the Ukraine, the church in Russia. God bless you and keep studying your scriptures. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.